You are listening to Legally Binding, a podcast brought to you by Jackson Corporate Law that is all about providing the business community with useful and practical legal tips and advice for growing and sustaining business ventures. For more information, please feel free to visit our website at www.jacksoncorporatelaw.com. We hope you enjoy. Letters of intent, um, what they are, why do you use them, and then whether or not they're enforceable. So uh, to start, a letter of intent is just that. It is a letter that expresses a transaction that you are intending to engage in. So it is the first step to identifying certain terms and solidifying um, certain concepts that you wanna have in, a, in the subsequent document. So for instance, uh, a letter of intent is used when you're entering into a merger or an acquisition. So if you own a business and you are intending to purchase another business, you will draft a letter of intent as the first document. Now that document will say, this is the purchase price. Um, these, are the, these are the high level things that we need or the most significant pieces of the deal that we need to see in the uh, in the actual transaction. The same thing if you're in construction um, and you're going to be entering into a joint venture or a teaming agreement, uh, letters of intent are very, very uh, critical because they allow the parties to come together on a uh, preliminary basis and say, okay, well, we need to make sure that uh, before we move forward, we are able to put together the the basic terms. Because if if we can't uh, make a decision on whether or not uh, you know someone owns fifty or, or someone owns twenty percent and someone owns eighty percent of a joint venture, or if it's fifty fifty, there's no point in moving forward. Likewise, if you feel like your business should be acquired for one point five million and the buyer is coming at you and saying that they're only willing to pay seven hundred thousand, then you know that you can't go any further. So letters of intent are um, are meant to ensure that the deal breakers are all put put out up front. They're put on the table up front. Why? Because the cost of the actual document, the cost of going through the actual document, when you talk about attorney's fees, um, if there are accounting fees that have to be incurred for an audit, um, or uh, a value, uh, if there has to be a third party to come in and actually um, put together a valuation on the company, um, all of those prices add up, all of those costs add up. And so a letter of intent keeps costs low for identifying the main terms it puts the two parties on the same page going into negotiating the final document and it gives you a way to measure what your actual leverage is it is going to be in entering into that final document now one of the issues that people have is trying to figure out whether or not a letter of intent is binding and the lawyerly answer is it is except when it isn't um or I, i'll flip that it isn't except when it is so uh, letters of intent by their nature are not meant to be legally binding uh, a letter of intent is meant to get you to the final document and, and that final document is supposed to have all of the controlling terms of that transaction now there are many times where people enter into a letter of intent and they want those terms to remain the same terms. They want to actually be bound by those provisions. So um, how do you make a letter of intent binding? You simply state it. Uh, there's usually a section that comes at the end of the letter of intent and it, um, and it says, this letter of intent is, uh, is not legally binding. It does not bind the parties to entering into any transaction. And none of the sections are, uh, and, none of the par and neither party is bound to any of these, of these sections or any of the provisions outside of X, Y, and Z. Now, typically, that is any um, confidentiality provision that may be in the letter of intent 
Um, it is a timeline for when the final document has to be uh, has to be ac actually executed, and that's another important thing. Uh, the letter of intent sets the timeline for uh, for closing that the final transaction. Uh, and then, if there are any not, you know uh, non compete provisions or non solicitation provisions, that's typically put in there because after the letter of intent, you usually go into further due diligence to make sure that the terms are actually good terms and that you actually want to enter into business with this person. So there are certain things that you are going to want to make sure um, are binding on both of the parties to the agreement. So in that you must be, you must express in writing within that document, which terms you want to be binding so that um, one, the other party to the agreement can't later come back and try to bind you to something that you didn't, that you didn't intend to be bound to. Um, and, or that, uh, you know, you are not put in a position to where somebody is trying to get out of one of the important deal points that you both agreed um, would be the the final deal point, but you forgot to say that it was it was binding within the letter of intent. So um, it's a useful tool. It's definitely necessary if you are entering into um, transactions where the the final transaction is going to take a lot of work and a lot of due diligence. Um, and you need to make sure that you get some preliminary things agreed to up front. It keeps uh, your legal costs a little bit lower for doing that preliminary work. Um, and it also ensures that you're not, you're not incurring other professional services expenses, uh, other professional service expenses uh, at a level that is higher than what you need to before you know that you're going to move forward with this particular company. Now, when we think about these things, I think that this is something that typically as business owners, we will just either A, put in an email and think that that's kind of valid, or we will try to slide it into the invoicing for the products or services that we may be exchanging. Can you tell our, our listeners why it is important to make sure we have a letter of intent as opposed to the two options that I just said? Right. So uh, typically the reason is because, one, it is a lot easier to prove that both parties have come to an agreement if it's in one piece of paper uh, when you when you put it in an email, there's either not a confirmation email that comes back from the other person, or there isn't, or, or there are mo the, the negotiation is actually taking place within the email. So then you have to parse through each of the emails and figure out which of the terms are actually binding, um, and you have to make sure that that every provision that you want signed off on is actually signed off on, and that takes a lot to put together if it's strung in an email chain. Um, or if it's just sending an email from one party to another without any um, any confirmation. So at the end of the day, can you use email in order to um, in order to get some of these terms down? You can. Um, if it comes to a point of you needing to try to enforce any of that, will it be harder than if you had an actual uh, properly written and drafted letter of intent that was signed by both parties that uh, articulated and expressed which provisions were going to actually be binding on both parties? Uh, yes, it, it, it would be uh, a lot more beneficial for you to have that on paper than to have it on email. Once again, this has been Legally Binding brought to you by Jackson Corporate Law. For more information, visit our website, www.jacksoncorporatelaw.com. And of course, don't forget to follow us on all forms of social media and subscribe to our podcast so that you can receive updates on each newly released episode. Until next time, we wish you continued success in life and in business.